0: It's uh, a follow-up visit to the Transmissions from a Quarantine Part 2 or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> that's the name I'm giving it now, Harper and Cal. I'm sorry. I like it. <laughs> I should do it like an old-timey radio voice, man. <laughs> transmissions from a Quarantine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is uh, the latest episode of Scream Rex Podcast. We... Um, we, we, again we're still all under house arrest here uh you know it, our various governments have kept us kept us all shut in and much like our last show which was a few weeks ago we wanted to um kind of share some of the things that have we've been keeping ourselves occupied with and um I would say, at least from my end, it's a pretty varying list. I'm kind of discovering even new interests, which is kind of great. So we just thought we'd share some of this, kind of banter about about it, and kind of see where we are. Anyway, uh, hey, I'm Kyle, and I'm joined by Harper. Hey. And Cal. Hello. No Hannah today, uh, who is uh, in quarantine. But don't fear, fear not, fear not. It's just a a, a precautionary measure more than anything else. Um, But before we get started, you know... There, there's been there's many things we can entertain ourselves with in a quarantine, and I feel like uh, certainly I've uh, kept myself pretty preoccupied my uh, to a to a pretty broad extent. But you know, Cal, you had I think one of the most uh, interesting last week's uh pretty big event happened uh in the course of uh the current pandemic uh you want to talk a little bit about that if you don't mind
1: <laughs> is uh is it me getting married
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. congratulations yeah, man yeah congrats
1: dude thank you thank you yeah um i was supposed to get married uh uh march 28th about march 20th uh and this was before um This was before most places went on lockdown, uh, anything like that. We sent an email to all of our guests just being, you know, even before that, like March 10th. Like, hey, if you don't feel safe coming, we totally understand. Let us know a week in advance. No worries at all. And then a week in advance, Ohio went into a shelter in place and we had to cancel it. Uh, We postponed. All of the vendors were very good about uh, just saying, you know, all of, they wouldn't upcharge us for rescheduling. We could keep our same price regardless of the season, all of that. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, you know, when do we want to do this? And it's hard to know when all this is going to be over. And uh, it's hard to schedule knowing that we don't know when all this is going to be over. And so we decided to get married on our porch. Uh our officiant stood on the lawn. We stood on our apartment's porch. Uh my best man and my wife's um uh one of her uh her groomsmen or bridesmen, uh I guess. Um they visited. Uh they they each stood on the sidewalk, uh, you know, about ten feet away from anybody else. So we had a very, very small wedding on our porch, but it was it was honestly, it was great. That's
0: awesome.
2: That
1: is awesome.
0: You know, I, uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in a time of, of really like bad memories, it's, it's nice to be able to make something really positive out of, uh, out of, a, out of a trying, uh, I guess, uh, point of in our history. That's, that's really kind of incredible, man.
1: Yeah. It was lovely. It was great to see people, but also it was great to just be able to, I don't know, get married in, a very intimate, very private, very memorable way. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm super happy that we still got to do it.
0: Do, you, um, do y'all have any honeymoon plans or anything?
1: We did not, um, which it turns out was a good thing. So <laughs> I mean, the weird thing about this quarantine is, right, this is almost a honeymoon because the point of a honeymoon is kind of, you know, you want to spend all this time with your partner without worrying about work or anything like that and while we both have to work from home uh you know i get to have lunch with her every day if i want to we uh you know just have a lot more time to sit down and watch tv i think during this quarantine we've burned our way through four seasons of schitt's creek um (laughs) a season of the good fight like we've been we've been watching a lot of stuff together and it's been really relaxing so
0: that's great man schitt's creek boy i'm I sure do love Emily Hampshire. I hope, hope uh, her dream of becoming Jessica Drew comes true. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I only know who she is because Hannah watches Shit's Creek a lot, and I, I've never actually watched an episode myself. But
1: <laughs> um, oh, ma'am, you got to watch it. I know, See, I know. Michelle and
2: I started watching. We've watched like the first half of the first season, and I got to say, so far, I don't, I don't
1: get it. <laughs> okay, here's what I'm gonna say. Shit's Creek is a comedy, yes, but the draw of it is that it's um, it's more of a dramedy in some ways. In that the point of the show is really watching the relationships grow and mature. The characters kind of find themselves. Um, I think both of us have been have teared up or cried at three different uh, episodes of the show so far. Um, and yeah, so it's, I I described it to someone as nice core arrested development, um, (laughs) because it lays off the jokes a little bit, but it also lays off the meanness radically. These are all fundamentally decent people who are trying to get through the world and the show is kind of about following them becoming better people. So don't go in expecting like a laugh a minute thing uh go in more like uh one day at a time or um kind of a softer uh uh a softer sweeter show.
2: All right, we'll we'll stick with it. I'm sure it's the only short show we have, so <laughs> that's it's got a big uh big advantage there.
0: Um well, on that note, since we're talking about things we're watching and things that uh, are keeping us from you know suffering and succumbing to the uh, whims of cabin fever, let's talk a little bit more about the things that we have like kind of dived into over the last couple of weeks. Um, I got to tell you, my list is real long, so I don't want to just start this podcast making it about all the things Kyle's into right now. Um, so let me turn it over to Harper first. Uh, Harper. So what's, uh, what are you and Michelle been doing lately?
2: Sure. So I'll, I'll throw one out there that I think you might be watching as well. Um, we started watching devs, uh, mm. uh, the FX slash Hulu show. Um, and I've been really, really enjoying
1: it. Um, Cal, are you watching that too? Uh, no, I, I just saw Kyle tweet about it and I was like, Oh, I should look that up. That's, uh, Alex Garland, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a weird show because it's it's hard to describe it without really giving away the kind of big, um, big like philosophical conceit of the show. But um, suffice to say, it's like it's one of the most hard sci fi shows that I've, I think I've ever seen. And it's done pretty damn well. I really like the way it's shot. Uh, the music is really interesting and cool. Um and it's just a it's a show where like i don't know somewhere towards the middle I was like i was really enjoying it, but i'm I was wondering kind of where it was going and now we just watched the i think sixth episode uh so there's two two more after that and now that I kind of see the direction where the ending is is going i'm uh definitely as into it as I was at the beginning it's uh it's it's a it's like a, a philosophy class uh couched in uh you know a Google campus. <laughs>
0: I I really like that it is fully directed by Alex Garland, at least I've seen. I've only seen the first three episodes so far. Mm. Um, And so uh, any, any other changes I might not be aware of, but it sounds like he directs them all. So that's, that's good.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: One of the things that brings that to mind is because we were watching Westworld uh, the other night and last, last weekend's Westworld, I think was one of the worst directed episodes of that show I've ever, I, that they've had yet hmm. and it just kind of brought into stark relief what like, we don't think a lot about television direction as much as we do um sort of uh, feature film um but it still can make or break sort of the storytelling devices of a given episode uh, you know a lot of better call saul i think is really well directed especially this season and uh Alex Garland, obviously being a very capable filmmaker, stretching all the way back to when he had to take over Dread and basically direct that. Right. um, Although he's not credited in it. You know, he's really sort of stepped his foot down as one of these uh, immensely impactful filmmakers that kind of touches on like elements of harder science fiction. Um, And I think he's kind of one of the more um, astute Writers who I feel like actually I don't know he feels like he actually has something to say in a lot of his work, um, particularly when you start talking about like Ex Machina and Annihilation and, mm-hmm. uh, even uh, Annihilation in film I'm a little cold on sometimes I still need to rewatch it finally in a better position than I did when I saw it in a bad screening it, it, at the very least. He's a filmmaker with a very strong thumbprint. I think even stronger than like everyone's talking about Denis Villeneuve right now because of the Dune stuff that's coming out. But I, Alex Garland to me is like a guy who excites me even more. And every time he's involved in something, it's just sort of like, sort of like I, I got to see what it's what it is. Um, and it was funny because with with um, with devs I heard kind of mixed things before I would ever watched it. And so I was kind of like, well, I'm not in a big rush. Let me finish this blasted Picard show before we jump over to Hulu. And I, I really regret waiting on it because it's so much better than any of the garbage – that uh, I could be watching on streaming right now, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm really, I'm really into it. Uh, and, and that's only three episodes in. But, you know, I, I feel like every time I think it's going to zig one way, it zags somewhere else. And I think the um, the lead is truly quite, quite an exceptional actress uh, whose name I cannot think of right now. I will look it up yeah, in a I second. Um, but I think that it is one of these shows that unfortunately is kind of um, done a disservice based on the network it's on. I wish it was just on FX proper and was not relegated to Hulu.
1: Mm. You know, uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about Garland and kind of hard sci-fi because to me, uh, the big difference between Garland and um, uh, Denny Villeneuve is um, Garland is willing to kind of break his own rules, go a little softer to kind of meet the emotional core of his stories. he reminds me a lot of Christopher Nolan in that way in that he gets a reputation as kind of an intellectual uh, movie maker, but all of his stories are so wrapped up in kind of the emotions of their characters. And that's why they're so satisfying. Uh, That's, that's to me, what really stuck out about... um, uh, Ex Machina, for example, is not the uh, technical merits of the film, but is instead kind of the push-pull of, you know, uh, kind of masculinity and femininity, the push-pull of dominance and submission, and the way that uh, it really is kind of a, um, uh, it reminds me of any, more more than anything of like an old movie like uh, Death Trap, that Michael Caine uh, movie from the 80s, in that it's just like three people in a dramatic situation, kind of uh, vying with each other, and he just handles those three people so smartly.
0: Yeah, I feel like um, the comparison to Nolan is 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 good. I, I think Garland's scripts might be sounder than Nolan's, uh, just from a sort of mechanical perspective. There's a little, there's less forced exposition. Um, there's a little more emotional core. And I think as a director, he might be might be a little better in pulling together performances. Uh, certainly, I I, I I kind of stand back and look at Ex Machina and see you know Oscar Isaac and uh, and uh, and and Company as a little more of a warmer sort of a warmer approach than something like I don't know I guess like I love Dunkirk but it's colder you know and I it just kind of excites me that Garland is also sort of willing to play in a number of different formats. I don't know. I like to see a director who has a level of flexibility to where they'll say, all right, I will, I will write this judge dread script. Okay. I now I'm going to direct uh, this, this robot movie. Now I'm going to go direct a TV show, you know, and to see people kind of bounce around and not feel like they're, I don't know. They're slotted into one specific area of the, of live action mediums that I, I, I really appreciate. I don't know. I'm just a big fan. I'm kind of smitten with the guy. I hope he's not a jerk or something.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I feel the same way. I, and I think I do think that Christopher Nolan comparison is a good one. Cause I think they're both concerned with taking these kind of big thematic ideas and then really carefully catching them in their characters and a and and, a, and an enjoyable story, most important of all, like more more so than just like, hey, this is neat and this is complicated. And, you know, the story and the characters are more important than the idea.
0: That actress's name is Sonoya Mizuno, by the way, hmm. and um, uh, she uh, was probably best recognized for, uh, for most folks as the lady who dances with Oscar Isaac in Ex Machina.
2: Oh, I didn't uh, even realize that. Yeah. No, no kidding. <laughs>
0: yeah. It, she looks totally different, but with shorter hair, you know, it's, it's, uh, I guess that can make a big, big change sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's her. And, uh, this is her big sort of, uh, she was in Annihilation as well, but this is her big, uh, you know, starring role debut.
2: Yeah. And let, let me just tell people too if you haven't watched Devs yet, it's not, a silicon valley ripoff (laughs) because that's what the the name and if you just look at any of the like promotional materials it's like oh it's nick offerman and some giant statue of a little girl like and it's called devs like it must just be something about some quirky you know startup in (laughs) in uh, silicon valley like no it's very very (laughs) i I knew it wasn't going to be that given that alex garland directed but it certainly looks like that from the outside if you don't know going in
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, t- to be fair, there was there was a little bit of fear uh, for me uh, when I heard about it at first at SDCC, and uh, from there though, I, was, I I I had to remind myself the exact same way that you were telling people to remind themselves, Harper. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, great show, looks great too, very very striking visually. Uh, I can't wait to watch another one. Might do that tonight when we get done here. Um, well, what you have anything else on your list, Harper?
2: Um, the only thing I was specifically going to mention is, um, that I (laughs) like over the last, I don't know, six months or a year, I've been feeling very kind of like, I don't know, more and more disinterested in comics just on a week to week basis. Like I'm still, I was still picking them up every week and, you know, there were some books that I was still really enjoying, but overall I've, I've just, I've been buying a lot less and just found myself less excited about comics than I have been in years past. And then of course, you know, a couple of weeks ago, comics stopped shipping for what, I don't know, the first time in uh, not ni- a hundred years, 90 years, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that they haven't been new, haven't been new comic books on the shelf. And I've suddenly absence makes the heart grow fonder because suddenly I find myself really, really missing that once a week, new, new comic book day. Um, so what I, uh, my, uh, Michelle's suggestion to me was that I should go find anything that I had that I hadn't read yet and make a big stack. And that, she could give them out to me once a week. (laughs) So, which I haven't gone, I haven't gone that far to actually, you know, go, go to the virtual shop and pick them up. But I did make a stack of, um, trades and, and graphic novels that I hadn't read yet. And the first one that I read, uh, turned out to be one that I really enjoyed, which was, uh, Doctors by Dash Shaw, which I, I want to say me and Shane might've talked about, uh, Dash Shaw a long time ago. He wrote that cosplayers, Mm -hmm. little two issue miniseries that we both really liked. Um, but it was, it's really good. It's super short and sweet. It's a little bitty graphic novel, but, um, it's basically about like, uh, when people in this universe, when people die, they, they go to an afterlife for a short amount of time while they're, you know, they're they're kind of still in their body for like, I don't know, a week or two. And they, their your afterlife is basically just like the, the place you feel like you deserve or what you imagine it's going to be. And then this, uh, this these doctors come up with a way to go into that afterlife and bring people back. And, and it, so it, exa- it kind of examines like the consequences of bringing somebody back to life when they've sort of uh, experienced like their version of heaven and how that totally kind of destroys them. <laughs> um, but it's a really fascinating, uh little independent graphic novel that I've, I've had for years. and just hadn't had never picked it up and read it all the way through. So uh, yeah. Doctors by Dash Shaw.
0: You know, that's, uh, I, I, yeah, he, he's been a, a creator that I know you've, uh, been a fan of for some time. So I'm, I'm glad you, you've, you've read his latest. Um, the, the funny thing is, like, I don't think I've read a comic in a couple weeks now, which for me is really, really saying something. Yeah. You would read one every night, if not four. Um, so that's that's really been a big change and it's funny you mentioned that because that was something Cal and I were talking about on Facebook is just sort of our, our, our waning interest in not, maybe not the medium itself, but just kind of like the way the medium is delivered. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, I've, I've have not read a comic in some time. Uh, you know, I was trying to get dig back into C, but then I got distracted with some other things. So I have not had a chance to touch that yet again. um, but uh, yeah, man, I, uh, I kind of like Michelle's idea though. About, yeah. about siphoning out things to you.
2: <laughs> yeah, it takes the power away from me, so somebody has to tell me what to read. And I'll, I'll actually do it. Probably, <laughs> I think that's the idea.
0: <laughs> well, what, what do you have? A, do you have another one you got to read next in your pile?
2: Yeah, the. Ne- I mean, I have a bunch of little. I, I was c- probably starting with a bunch of these short ones, just things I've picked up over the years, random stuff. But um, probably the next bigger one I'm going to read is um, I've had the first volume of Queen and Country for i don't know five or six years now i've just never sat down and read it so that that might be the next thing which is uh rucka and um i keep trying to remember who did the art on that uh i can't remember it now off the top of my head but um yeah you know a spy story that sound it sounded really fun
0: very nice very nice
2: uh wait aren't aren't, weren't you reading the hickman x-men stuff uh yeah i was
0: (laughs) well not not anymore (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) yeah i was really enjoying those
0: (laughs) I got to tell you, this this big pause is going to probably bring a lot of people to like uh to to reckoning with their habitual purchases of comic books, and there may be uh, I'm sad to say uh, uh, a cutoff point for some people with some of these like bigger bigger uh, lines and stuff. I can't it's hard for me to imagine people are just going to come back and be like, yes, give me three months worth of X Men right now.
2: Yeah, I'm very very curious how. How the comics industry is going to handle it when things start to go back to normal? Because it's hard for me to even imagine a way that it works in one one way or another.
0: Yeah, I've I've heard uh, no, nothing that even remotely sounds feasible. Uh, Cal, sorry, were you about to add something to that?
1: No, I'm. Well, I mean, you know, as you said, Kyle, we were kind of talking about um, dissatisfaction with the way the singles market is handled, especially at the big two. Uh, Marvel and DC and um, I, I got out of collecting singles uh, almost a year ago and uh, even now I still have like trades that I'm still just sitting on that I haven't read so this has also like like Harper I have made a big dent in that but I, I agree I, I don't know what this will look like for um, uh, comic shops coming back in However long it takes comic shops to come back. I don't know what this looks like for Diamond. I don't know what this looks like for every step of the distribution chain. Uh, But maybe this will kind of force comics into a reckoning with some of the shittier aspects of the way that it handles uh, creating and distributing and kind of judging when books are successful and when they aren't
0: it's a bummer because there's no one who's going to win in this. Uh, I mean, maybe readers will at some point, but retailers are going to, you know, take a big bite of the the poop pie. Uh, Diamond is going to, of course, uh, be in a lot of trouble. I saw they just furloughed their employees uh, today Mm. uh, through like, I mean, I don't, I guess some indeterminate amount of time, but once you furlough people, that's pretty, pretty serious. And then I, you know, the, the actual big two, I mean, they're going to have, like you say, Cal, they're going to have to decide what's happening, but you know, I feel like digital might be one potential answer, but you know, there's issues with that too, in terms of pricing and accessibility in terms of technology and a, the number of other things. So I don't know. I, I haven't seen a plan. Like I said, that <clears throat> I think is particularly convincing in any way to make this work. Um, but we got to make comics easier to get. <laughs> it's yeah, ridiculous. for sure. <laughs> um so Harper it was it was just those two right
2: yeah I mean I've got some other stuff I can mention that I'm uh, looking forward to but I can I could save that for later
0: okay okay sounds good all right uh, I'm gonna blow through mine really fast since I've got quite a few things let me actually just 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 kind of uh wheedle them down here so um let's start on the criterion front of things that I've been watching Uh, A couple weeks ago, uh, before it went out at the end of March, they uh, had a number of Paul Schrader films. And, you know, my only real experience with the filmmaker Paul Schrader was Taxi Driver um, and uh, First Reformed, which came out last year, two years ago. And I was really quite, quite into it. Um, So I watched two movies. I watched... um, Hardcore, which was one of his earlier films. It starred George George, George C. Scott. And it's a movie my dad liked a lot when I was a kid and always told me about as something that made him laugh his ass off. So I had to watch this thing. Um, And then I also watched Light Sleeper uh, starring Willem Dafoe, which I thought was actually really excellent. I don't know if y'all have seen either of these movies before, um, but... Um, I think Schrader is really one of these filmmakers that has been really undervalued for a long time. And uh, you know, he's got some real misses, but I, I, uh, was, I find his brand of thoughtful pulp something that I, I was particularly welcome uh, when you consider some of the more
2: uh, art-leaning selections on the Criterion channel. That's funny that you you mentioned him specifically because we just watched Cat People last week, which was definitively in that Mrs. category. <laughs> it was not good. But I will say um, uh, I absolutely adore his uh, Mishima movie. It's really fantastic. That's one I've been wanting to rewatch. so That might be on the list soon, too.
1: I'll have to uh, seek some of those out. Uh, I've been doing a lot of Criterion channel watching as well. Um, my partner loves older movies. I have a such a hard time convincing her to watch anything made in the last fifty years, um, and so the Criterion Channel's selection has just been a, a godsend for us.
0: Yeah, the way they curated is is really attractive. Like, I like the layout. I like the um, sort of the the explore section. And the way they say, uh, particularly like when something is going to leave the service, because that gives me like a sense of urgency. Like, okay, I got to watch this right now. And that's how I dropped it all to watch um, uh, the man who fell to earth, which Mm. I'd never seen before. Um, Which uh, hilariously, because I'm a huge David Bowie fan, and I quite like Nick Reg, but I just never took the time to watch it, and I finally did. um and I uh, was a pretty big fan of it. Uh, you know, there it's funny, Hannah said it has elements of like a student film in some ways. Sure. <laughs> but it's also like it's like a student film starring David Bowie. So you know it's like very early, Nick Ridge. But I uh I, I I really enjoyed its sort of approach to like weird 70s sci-fi. And uh I you know, if that's not a film you've ever seen before. I, I recommend checking it out it's it, it's now off criterion i'm sad to say i think or it's leaving at the end of the month but if you haven't picked that up uh and the only other, other things i've watched were um i watched mother finally harper
2: yeah i saw that
0: yes uh that might be my second favorite uh, bong movie now
2: that's very interesting yeah i'm glad you liked it i, I like that movie a lot too and we we finally rewatched it uh, a couple of weeks back too um and yeah, it's, it's a movie that to me is a lot harder to love than a lot of his other movies, but it's really fascinating. I, I, I just thought it was like
0: nearly perfect. I, I Everything about it, like it, it hit on like one of the areas of memories of murder that I thought was the most interesting, which is like that sort of accusation of someone with, um, with, a, with a disability sure. uh, of, of a crime. And then, like, it also sort of played to, like, sort of those same sort of social construct issues that, that really inf- infect Parasite. Um, I, just, I, I just thought it was so good. Even, I, knew, I knew from the opening shot I would love it. Oh,
2: yeah, the opening is uh, this, beautiful.
0: This is going to be great. <laughs> I
2: knew it. <laughs> uh,
0: the other thing I watched was Dog Tooth.
2: Oh, yeah, that's a fun one.
1: Uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if fun is the word well
2: uh, okay my my experience with dogtooth is that i remember thinking i was kind of uh not bored but like i don't know the movie is extremely slow except for there's one there's one i think i'm trying to even remember what it is now that is it like there's a dancing scene right yeah that i remember being extremely funny <laughs> in, in line with the rest of uh lanthimos's more recent stuff but yeah i remember the rest of it being kind of not hard hard to watch, but it's a little, you know, it's different.
0: Well, I mean, you know, incest sex—that uh, is, uh, you know, not something that uh, the lighthearted uh, should be <laughs> watching necessarily. But I, I, uh, I, I it's what I feel like it's the kind of movie, sort of like Killing the Sacred Deer. The first time I watch it, I, I kind of didn't like, kind of don't totally get it. And I don't totally feel the appeal. And the second time I watched it, I realized it's hilarious, Um, which is kind of bizarre to say about Dogtooth. But maybe it would have that same effect on me. Um, Regardless, I guess we're going to try and watch the Alps next.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lanthimos, I think his most successful movies, uh, it's no surprise that they were the lobster and the favorite because they're the two that – you know immediately that this is supposed to be a very dark comedy, whereas Killing of a Sacred Deer and Dogtooth, I think, are just just a little bit, they're, they're played just a little straighter, and it makes it a little harder to connect until you get to, like, a moment where something so ridiculous happens that you start to laugh, and then you're actually having a good time with them.
0: That's very astute. Honestly, I think I do think that sort of element of knowing tone can can really change the perspective of the film at the outset. Um, it's it's cool though. I'm glad they got three of his movies, his earliest films, right there to be watched because i had never seen any of his Greek movies. Um, and the other thing is, I watched Tokyo Story, Cal. I know that was something you were excited for me to do, so I watched it.
1: Yeah, what did you think? I thought it was great.
0: Uh, you know, it's. It is uh, very sad uh, in a way that I uh, it sort of stuck with me for hours afterwards. Particularly, uh, you know, as, as I start thinking about like age and your own parents and how you treat your own parents, and I, you know the the underlying sort of fact of the matter is it made me want to go call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> <You>
1: know, <afterwards.
0: laughs> uh, and I, I, do, I do sort of appreciate like the matter of factness that Ozu treats sort of familial strife. Uh, it's not like a big, giant, dramatic sweep that you'll see in a lot of filmmakers work. But instead, it's just very real. And like this idea that, oh, the kids want to go to the department store. They can't go to the department store. Now they're throwing a fit. Like, this is the kind of thing he captures. And I, I was really into it. Like, and I'm excited that he's got a whole movie that's kind of about kids not getting their way. Because now I want to see that, which is a good morning. Um, the premise of this movie, which I have not seen, is about kids wanting to get a TV. Their parents won't buy them a TV, <laughs> so they just stop talking. So <laughs> I want to watch that uh to see apparently it's a comedy too, so i'm I'm excited to check that out and to see more of his work. Criterion's got like tons of it, so it's going to be a real deep dive for me, I think
1: you know uh I think that's a good that's a good deep dive to take, but if you want something to follow up uh, to follow up a uh, um, Tokyo story with um uh have you seen the Ballad of Narayama?
0: No, I have not.
1: All right. I think they they should have that on Criterion Channel 2. They used to, at least. And yeah, I would say give the Ballad of Narayama a shot. See what you think about that. All
0: right. Narayama. I'm writing it down right now. I've got like a notepad where I keep all my suggestions of things, uh, which is a very (laughs) new thing for me. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So let me me pivot. Uh, And since I'm picking and choosing how I want to talk about things, Uh, Since I'm sure y'all don't want to hear about my volleyball anime that I've been watching, um, (laughs) we will instead talk about something we've never talked about as far as I can remember on on any of our podcasts. I want to talk about real books for a second. Um, So, Cal, you're going to be proud of me. I've actually started reading real books uh, again for the first time in a long time.
1: Hey man, I'm in the same boat. I had a, I had a two read pile piling up and I finally started making a real dent in it in the last month. Nice.
0: <laughs> well, I got, I got really inspired after watching that man who fell to earth and it made me want to sit down and read like a classic sort of new wave science fiction more than anything else. I, you know, for the longest time I'd had interest in reading the works of Michael Moorcock anyway. So I I really wanted to read a little bit of fantasy. I really wanted to read a little bit of sci-fi. So I picked up a few things and I started making lists. And I started uh, with a suggestion that someone had provided to me. And this wasn't even classic sci-fi. This is more like 90s sci-fi. But um, one of my friends on Twitter, uh, uh, John... Uh, Mark Oliver Freach, sorry, almost left me there. He had told me that I should read Hyperion by Dan Simmons. And uh, Dan Simmons, if y'all don't know, he is the author of the, the the Terror, which was an AMC show that I think a lot of people mm. liked. I never got to finish it, but uh, it was an intriguing concept. But Hyperion is basically like a um, a pilgrimage story of seven pilgrims who are trying to go to this outer space Uh, time-tomb thing out on this planet Hyperion, uh, as instructed by the government that they work for, that they all kind of live under, and they all have varying backgrounds, and the idea is to keep themselves entertained, they have to tell each other stories, just like Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, and I have to tell you, I've read the first 100 pages of this 400-page book, and it is spectacular. Um, each story kind of breaks into different genres, different styles. It's a bit like cloud Atlas even, uh, to some degree. Um, but I, I found this, I find this book very moving, very thought provoking. And also you can sort of tell that Dan Simmons is one of these guys who's really well read, um, I know he's real bit of a bit of a problem now nowadays with his ne- his present day views on a number of things. But um, I uh, this is apparently his best work. I'm reading it right now and I really like it. I like it so much I ordered a physical copy for Hannah to read. On top of that, uh, I've been reading the first book of uh, Michael Moorcock's Elric. Uh, which is like sort of the, uh, when you look at the two sort of uh, pillars of fantasy writing, you have the Lord of the Rings and then you have Elric Uh, and Moorcock's kind of considered the anti-Tolkien where he sort of takes the weird fiction of Conan and applies it to a more magical sort of setting that also sort of plays a little bit to some ideas of like Lovecraft and stuff. And Uh, I'm really excited to read more of this so far. I'm reading like a bunch of short stories that are all kind of tied together, but these things came out like in the 1960s and, uh, it's, it's been nice, fun, pulpy stuff, like reading Hyperion, it kind of feels like sci-fi, uh, with like a strong veneer of literature and then reading Elric, I feel like I'm just kind of reading like, like airport trash, uh, but it's like, you know, sort of like the equivalent of, of like a pulp comic book in literature form. So it's kind of fun to get that breathing space. I got a whole list now of books I'm going to be reading, to say the least. Uh, I'm going to try and read Philip K. Dick for the first time, which I'm really excited about. Never awesome. read Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. I'm going to read that. I'm going to read um, the uh, S- S- Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, which a lot of people say I will like. So I'm going to check that out and it's the
2: good ready player one (laughs) yeah that's what i hear
0: (laughs) i i i I do hear that and you know i i got a couple friends of mine also told me i should read uh neuromancer which i have not read i haven't tackled that one
2: yet it's been on my shelf forever
0: (laughs) yeah i mean people you know people know i like like that kind of cyberpunk like aesthetic uh and so that's i really should read the book that sort of created that but the first thing I got in my in my in my Amazon mailing because you know Amazon mail has kind of slowed down pretty significantly for a pretty good reason Uh, but I did get uh, Samuel Delaney's Nova which uh, is apparently described as Moby Dick with strobe lights so (laughs) uh, I'm excited to see where that goes Sam Delaney is an interesting writer too he's an African-American gay man Uh, who was writing really well thought of science fiction as early as like 1965, 1966. Um, So I'm really fascinated to see his own perspective on a lot of this stuff. So reading a lot of books, hoping to become a better reader. uh, And maybe that will sometime inspire me to become at some point a better writer.
1: Yeah. You know, um, there are, when you're looking at kind of like the pillars of fantasy that you have so many great, great options to pick from. Um, did anyone ever recommend the Gast novels to you?
0: Yeah, that Mervyn Peaks stuff. That's actually been on my list for a minute. And it's even on Hoopla, so I could probably get that for free.
1: Yeah, that, that's another one of those kind of like old classic fantasy pillars. Um, uh, Octavia Butler.
2: Yeah, I was going to um, recommend those.
1: Yeah. Uh, and uh, I forget, Kyle, were you a um, Game of Thrones or like Joe Abercrombie book guy at all?
0: I, I read I read the the Song of Ice and Fire books, at least the first um, the first three. So, yeah, and I enjoyed them. I thought they were quite good. Uh,
1: have you ever heard of Glenn? Glenn Cook's Tales of the Black Company?
0: No, no, that's that's a new one to me. What's it, it about?
1: It's a, um, it's kind of like one of the big, big series in the transition from kind of like, uh, classic fantasy, like sword and sorcery fantasy to like Game of Thrones or Joe Abercrombie stuff. It's about a, um, mercenary company, the titular black company, um, and uh, kind of the, like, gritty high fantasy adventures that they have. So, like, it's it's way grittier, way um, darker and meaner spirited than, like, Lord of the Rings or, like, a lot of these kinds of books, right? But it is still playing in that high fantasy sandbox. There's definitely some stuff that hasn't aged well. But if you want to see that kind of transition point from, like, old fantasy to, like, a very a more recognizably newer fantasy. Uh, that's a really interesting series to check out.
0: All right. Very nice. I wrote it down, uh, in my, in my trusty notebook that I've, I've talked about. Uh, and so I, I definitely will keep, keep an eye on it. You know, the one thing Hannah has, has, um, warned me against is reading too much science fiction all in a row and I might get burned out. And I, you know, to me, I was like, oh, that sounds like a challenge, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> I, I definitely want to, uh, sort of get better grounded in a, in a genre a couple of genres that I've been kind of, I guess, illiterate in for some time. Uh, every time I go to like Barnes and Noble, I would go into like the um, the fantasy sci-fi section and all those covers just always kind of turned me off, to be honest with you. It's always kind of the same sort of like broad fantasy look. So it's always good to know like what's the good standouts in those genres that can be appreciated as, as higher literature. So I'll definitely check that one out, Cal. That, that sounds great to me. Um, and Octavia Butler has been on my list for, for a minute, guys. So that's, that's definitely one area I will, I will continue to chase down along with like JG Ballard. And I also kind of want to check out Ursula Le Guin. Uh, I don't know those Earthsea books at all, but, um, that is another, another author that I think, uh, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I
1: didn't check out. Earthsea is great. But, uh, I mean, uh, in, in case people haven't uh, seen my Twitter, my name right now is Ursula K. LaPenguin. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I'm obviously a fan. I will say the thing with um, Earthsea, uh, which is fantastic, is it is like a young adult series. So, like, it's definitely going to be uh, shorter, a little simpler. Uh, so just to give you kind of put you in the right headspace for it.
0: Sure. Okay. Well, you know, there's been some other suggestions too of, of books that I can't remember the names of them, but I, I could tell you the covers. I see some there's some cover with a guy flying a fly, sitting on a flying animal uh, that apparently is like one of his one of her one of her bigger books from the mid '60s. Uh, I wish I could remember what it's called. Uh, it's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out later. But yeah, I'm going to keep my eyes out for uh, some some other books of hers. And uh, the other thing, uh, I, you know Harper. I've been watching the plot against America on HBO. Mm, I haven't and started made, that yet. It's very good. Um, and uh, it makes me want to read more Philip Roth. So, uh, Philip Roth is on the list. Uh, I don't know where I'll start or what book I should check out, but I'm going to do that. And I think you're like a Philip Roth fan, right?
2: Yeah. I got into him because he, he's always compared to Paul Astor, who's the one I I've read, like everything he's ever written. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to remember, I can't remember what it's called, but there's one of his books that the first one of his that I read is probably the one I'd recommend. And it's, it's the one that's about uh, this man who goes to this, I think he goes to a cabin and he meets uh, this woman who he thinks might be Anne Frank who might have survived. Uh, and that's a really interesting kind of strange one, but yeah, I, I've, all the, I think I've read three or four of his and they're all pretty good.
0: All right. Yeah. No, that, 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 that sounds good to me. I, I, um, yeah, I anticipate that uh, I might try and start with some of his earlier work uh or maybe uh his like Zimmerman trilogy.
2: Yeah, uh, I think that one's part of the Zimmerman trilogy uh Zimmerman book. I think he's yeah. the the POV character in that.
0: Nice. Oh, by the way, Cal, uh, that Le Guin book I'm talking about is The Left Hand of Darkness.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I I haven't read that one, but I'm familiar with it.
0: Okay. Cool, cool. All right. Well, that's me. And I'm reading lots of books. That's that's my number one thing that right now. Cal, what are you doing to keep yourself entertained?
1: No, I mean I, I'm reading too. Uh you know, I'm I'm trying to make I when I was younger, see, I'm I'm almost the opposite of you. When I was younger, I read almost nothing but those kind of like uh cheesy fantasy stereotypical fantasy books in the shelves at Barnes and Noble. Um And, uh, it's only lately that I, like in the last, not lately, in the last like five, 10 years that I've been really branching out. Um, I'm still reading a little bit of, uh, fantasy, um, notably, uh, um, I have one book left in Max Gladstone's craft sequence, which, uh, I think is just one of the coolest, most inventive fantasy series, uh, I've ever read. Um, it's, uh a uh, fantasy series where um, uh, essentially like all sorcerers are basically lawyers and magic that exists is is through the form of contracts that you make that are bound by kind of these otherworldly forces. And so, you know, a case might be, you know, a lawyer slash necromancer uh, trying to execute the will of a murdered God Um. (laughs) So there are these really high concept, ambitious books with a uh, great world building, like really interesting, diverse casts. Uh, I think in the six book series, uh, not a single book uh, has a uh, white character or a white, uh, specifically a white man in the lead. Um and uh, just the storytelling is so uh, interesting, even if the, the writing, I think, is, is not always at the level of the ideas. And, um, of course, you know, I've got to read uh, N.K. Jemison, who everyone is raving about. And uh, I've had one of her books sitting on my shelf, uh, shelf for a year or two and haven't, haven't, fit, haven't uh, started it yet. So that's on my list. Which one? Um, fifth season?
0: That's one that's on my shelf. It hasn't been opened yet either.
1: Um, So that's, that's on my list. Uh, That said, you know, I've been trying to make my way through some of the things that um, uh, some of the nonfiction uh, that I've had. I read uh, Mary Beards. How do we look a really fantastic book about kind of art history, uh, civilization and kind of like cultural imperialism. It's a uh, really quick, easy, interesting read. The first uh, section of the book is uh, phenomenal. The second section, when it starts getting into kind of a, a world religious history um, and kind of the artistic movements uh, that relate to that, isn't nearly as interesting as the first one when it's focused on kind of the more civilizational sweep. Sure. Um, but if you have an interest in art history, it's it's a really good read. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been trying to make my way through a bunch of books like that. Uh, book of short stories learned. I still don't like short stories. I have not (laughs) grown out of that. Um, uh, yeah, you know, and I think as I mentioned last time, uh, one of the things I'm using this for, in addition to reading is just playing through my backlog of video games. Mm. Um, Uh, There's one that I'll mention kind of at the end because I I have a feeling, I know you're playing it as well, Kyle. I don't know if you are, Harper. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Um, But uh, before then, um, uh, I've been really enjoying, enjoying is the wrong word. I've been really finding a lot of interesting stuff to dig into with Pathologic 2. Sure. I mentioned last time. Yeah. Yeah. it's such an interesting game. You know, I mean, it's developed by a minuscule indie studio. So, like, it's not very well optimized to run on the PlayStation 4. But it does work. Uh, you just have to deal with some uh, weird loading times uh, at, at, at times, I think. Mm. Um, but it's fascinating because it's a game that lets you. It lets you fuck up. Like, irredeemably fuck up without killing you or ending your thing ending your save and so as you make your way through the game which takes place over the course of 12 days um uh you just are building like a uh especially the first time you play it which is what i'm doing you're building a um like rolling ball of shit that's just <laughs> you know, like it's just every bad decision you make just kind of compounds the bad decision before, but it actually lets you like live and see the consequences of what you're doing and try to like learn from what you've done. And so at the end of the 12 days, you can go back and start over with kind of like what you know, and kind of more familiar, Mm -hmm. but it can be so punishing. I mean, you know, like um, to give you an example, uh, the, the premise of pathologic two You are a surgeon who is called back to your hometown by your father. Uh, You uh, grew up in kind of the um, indigenous group in the region, uh, which is like the steppes of Russia. You grew up uh, in this kind of indigenous culture, which is really at odds with kind of the industrial culture of the town. And uh, you left, you became a surgeon, and you kind of put this whole thing behind you you show up to your old town and your father has been murdered by someone who looks like you. Meanwhile, um, meanwhile, a plague is spreading slowly through the town. And so you as a surgeon kind of have multiple tracks you're trying to follow. Like you're trying to figure out who killed your father so you can clear your own name But you're also trying to figure out how to stop this disease before the Russian army basically firebombs the town. And um, uh, you need to be working towards both because uh, when you first start the game, people literally won't speak with you. You're so hated. If you go into the wrong part of town where your father was really well-loved, you might get beaten unconscious and dragged to the edge of town, which costs you resources and time. You are constantly getting tired. Eating will make that go away, but it'll make you thirstier. Drinking uh, will make you less thirsty, but the water in town becomes more and more plague ridden, so you have to plan ahead how (laughs) you'll get your water. Um, It it can be an unforgiving game, but it can also be a really funny, interesting, clever game, and I I really uh, am enjoying digging through that, even if I'm doing it in smaller chunks.
0: That, no, that, that, yeah, you know, I looked at it, um, the when you told us about it at the last episode, and I went into the, the PlayStation store. I'm waiting for it to go on sale. I, I think it was still kind of like at a higher price than I was probably willing to pay at the time, which is hilarious because I just dropped $120 on two brand new A games, um, uh, that probably had nowhere near the same sort of thematic value. But, um, I, I, I really do want to check it out, man. It, it sounds, it sounds uh, like a like a barrel of laughs, uh, but, <laughs> but I, I definitely uh, am into it. I wish my I was kind of hoping to play it on my laptop, but my laptop's not good enough for it.
1: Yeah, you know, you could probably play the first Pathologic on your laptop, but that one is, on the one hand, a lot deeper than this one. Uh, it has three stories compared to the one. Mm -hmm. but, uh, it was made by an even smaller team. So like it just works worse on every level. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I would just wait for a sale on this one because it's, it's worth playing. And I I do wish that they, um, the first one kind of had the the technical merits to match its ambition. Uh, but it still is a really interesting experience. Um, Mm -hmm. and I've been playing, uh, Uh, I, you know, years ago bought uh, Shovel Knight. Have any of you played Shovel Knight? No,
2: I I want to. That's a game that I know I'd probably really enjoy and I've just never sat down and gotten it.
1: Yeah, so Shovel Knight is a, um, it's kind of in the genre of something like Mega Man, right? Uh, Kind of character-driven action where you go through thematic levels and beat a boss at the end. One of the really interesting things about Shovel Knight, though, is its DLC. Uh, it released three extra full-length games. Hmm. So the first game uh, is called Shovel of Hope now. You play a knight who fights with a shovel. In the second game, uh, Plague of Shadows, you play an, uh, a, a mad alchemist who is out to steal the essence of all the characters from the first game. Uh, The third game is a prequel where you play as um, uh, Spectre Knight, a kind of ghostly knight who, uh, it turns out, gathered all of the enemies from the first game together. And in the fourth game, you play um, uh, King Knight, a uh, knight who wants to be the, uh, the king of this realm. But every game kind of changes the genre up. So, like, with Plague of Shadows... You are playing through kind of the same areas, but all of a sudden you have the ability now to um uh like throw bombs and double jump that you didn't have before, but you're weaker and you have kind of these other uh downfalls. So um uh King Knight um changes things up again in that there's a ton of a card game called Joustus in there. And you are trying to uh, beat the justice champions of the land. And so uh, it's just a really interesting, weird, goofy little set of games. But they're, um, with the exception of Plague of Shadows, which I think is the weakest of the four, they're just so fun to play through. Uh, the, the mechanics are smooth and interesting. Uh, the level design is phenomenal. Uh it's not quite Celeste Good, uh, which is I think the best platformer of the last, you know, ten, twenty years. But it's it they're they are great, interesting, kind of well honed games. That's
0: neat. I haven't played a, a platformer in a long time. You know, not not since uh our friend Brian here got us trying to play guacamele. Um, so I'm I'm like really like the, totally in the dark on like what's a good platformer though i did i remember there was this one i don't remember what it's called now uh i don't, I don't think it's like rogue legacy or something like that mm. but it, there's this one particular platformer where every time you die you are you you're reincarnated or you know you're you're then jumped into the sort of the the
2: descendant of the that's guy rogue legacy called. uh is that rogue legacy yeah, i love that game
0: yeah, man, that sounds so cool, like you know, oh th- this guy's gonna be colorblind, and this guy's gonna be unable to do something else. I've or... been
2: playing that game off and on for like five years. <laughs> like i just, I'll pick it up for like two weeks and then I get annoyed with it because it gets it's so hard. Uh, you, you know, every playthrough gets to a point where
1: it gets so hard, and then you have to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. That's always the challenge with roguelikes, um, which is that that genre where uh every playthrough is distinct, and when you die, you kind of start fresh, but maybe with some permanent bonuses of some sort. Yeah. From- yeah. That's rogue like right, Legacies like that. Um, uh, I've actually been also playing a uh, new roguelike called uh, one step to Eden. Hmm. Um, that combines kind of the deck building aspect of slay the spire with like a really frenetic action game. Um, it's hard to describe kind of how the action works uh it's grid based and um you uh, you and your enemies are on a very small playing field and you can navigate uh and you're basically just trying to dodge attacks on this grid while launching your own attacks that hit specific points in the grid at times it feels almost like a rhythm game um because the kind of inputs get so demanding but, like, when you start to get in the zone with that, it's really satisfying. I, I don't think it's going to usurp Slay the Spire or uh, Binding of Isaac uh, Rebirth in the kind of all-time pantheon of roguelikes. But uh, it's, a, it's a pretty cool game. It's a neat idea, and um, if you watch, like, a trailer for it or something, you'll see kind of how the mechanics come together in a fascinating way.
0: Well, it's funny I'll mention roguelike games because that just made me flash back to my father playing the original Rogue on our old computer when I was very, very little. <laughs> and I don't know if y'all have ever seen the original Rogue or not, but mm-hmm. you basically play as like a, a smiley face and you have to like go through like basically this very rudimentary dungeon crawl sort of thing. And all the, all the bad guys are letters. <laughs> and so like K is for kobold and Z is for zombie <laughs> and you attack them by like running into them um so yeah I, every time I, I, people mention a rogue like, I just think about the what, what the old rogue was like actually <laughs>
1: it's, it's really incredible that that has come back maybe a little bit as a as an inspiration to some I, it's
0: kind of it's kind of awesome actually I, I, I really should play some of these just to sort of play something simpler uh Cal were you about to talk about Final Fantasy
1: I was about to talk about Final Fantasy, because I, I believe, Kyle, you are playing it as well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. What what do you think?
1: So this is, of course, for listeners, uh, not not that you need to know, uh, not that not that you don't know, I guess, but uh the Final Fantasy VII remake is out now, um, which is a much more ambitious remake than I think any we've seen so far in just the scope of the changes. Um which goes to uh, the gameplay. Uh, you can play in kind of the old uh, turn-based combat, but it's also adapted to a uh, um, kind of action action RPG setting or uh, action RPG um, style of gameplay that I think actually flows, re- it feels good, I think, um, to story changes. Uh, this game takes the first four hours of Final Fantasy VII and expands it to a 40-hour game. And that means that uh, there's a lot more character work. There's a lot more um, uh, environmental storytelling. There's a lot more uh, just of everything than there was before. And uh, that's a really interesting choice. I I I don't know how, how well it's going to work in the end. There's already some stuff that's happened that has made me go... Uh, I don't know where they're going with it. I don't know how I feel about these changes. Um, but uh, on a core level, the gameplay feels phenomenal, and the uh, character stuff that they've updated has been mostly really strong. Uh, what are you thinking about it, Kyle?
0: I'm only ten hours in. Uh, I don't know if you're at that same point or far beyond.
1: Um, I'm about. I'm about eight hours in.
0: I, I don't remember. Uh, a lot of the broader sort of plot points of the original game, to be honest with you, because I haven't played Final Fantasy VII since I was uh, 14, I think. So there's a lot I don't remember. I remember names and I kind of remember little bits and pieces and bibs and bobs. Most of what I remember is actually everything that's probably takes place after this game. Um, But i I am really impressed with the art direction. I think it is a really beautifully crafted game uh in terms of like, like creating an environment, especially when you're in this um i think I like how they added the mythos of the of midgar like where all of the people who are of higher social standing are and financial standing are in sort of like the the upper levels. And everybody who kind of lives uh, of a poorer existence or more impoverished existence is out at the bottom. And when you're walking around in the bottom, you can look up and actually see the levels you can't get to. And to me, that's kind of uh, a rich texture to add to that game. Um, I I don't love the combat as much as you do. To me, it reminds me a little too much of Kingdom Hearts. And those are not the sort of things I really dig. I don't I don't like just this... this Hit, 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 spell, hit, 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 spell, kind of thing. I really prefer like the turn based style. And I did try to switch it to classic. And I got to tell you, it actually doesn't take you to the turn based style, like you're thinking. It's actually, no, it just takes over your guy for you if you don't want to move him. And then all you can do is sit there and cast spells or cast like special attacks whenever you want to do that. And it just makes the game like a whole lot easier. Um, And. That's one of my other problems with the game is that, like, there is no middle ground between normal and easy. Like, normal is actually, I think, quite hard. Um, but then when you get to easy, it you know, almost feels like you're playing on story mode. And, like, levels of difficulty in gameplay are a bit of a sensitive topic anyway, because I know everybody's got a different opinion about that. But I kind of like a little bit of a challenge, but I don't want to challenge it so much that I'm, like, beating my head against the controller. And, like, on normal, I was having trouble even beating a, a a wild dog, you know. But in easy, I'm destroying giant robots and stuff with no problem. So I kind of wish they had stratified those, those. I don't know, maybe some other like middle ground between the two. I'm fine with the ones, the, the levels that exist. But I wish there was like something that was kind of like, um, there's some people who want a slight challenge. You
1: know? yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things that was really uh, interesting and innovative to me about Celeste was that rather than having a traditional kind of easy mode versus hard mode, it had sliders where you could say, you know what, the thing that, like, I I really like the difficulty as it is, but uh, I just need a more forgiving, like, timing on the wall jump, and you could adjust that, or... I just need the ability to regain my dash quicker and you could adjust that. So it let you fine tune the difficulty in a way that was, that I wish more games uh, thought about because uh, I agree the combat is way more challenging than the original game. But um, from everything I've heard, the easy mode is ridiculously easy. And uh, if they had given you a thing where maybe your limit break fills faster, maybe your uh you know you have access to uh or maybe you have more m p or more h p but otherwise the combat you know like just give yourself the ability to make these small modifications I think would really really help um uh rather than just having one set difficulty setting. Uh, which works in some games. Uh, Like some games have a single specific experience that they want you to take from it, right? Like I'm thinking of Dark Souls or Sekiro. Sure. Um, But most games aren't like that. Most games already have difficulty settings. So why not do them well?
0: Yeah, I like the idea of uh, adaptation to the player so the player has the best experience possible. Um, you know these games are not cheap, um, especially at launch. And if you're expected to spend sixty dollars to, uh, to to uh, to 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 get in at through the outset of this thing, I really think there should be like a an ability to, as you say, like I think that slider mechanism for difficulty is great. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I would like to see in more games. Um, you know, uh, Hannah and I beat Resident Evil three. Last, uh, last weekend and it's easy mode. I thought it was still pretty challenging. Like we were still losing a bunch. Um, but we were still able to at least feel like we were working for our victory before we got it. I feel like with final fantasy sevens, easy setting, I might beat this game in a couple of days and I don't want to get it that easy that fast. (laughs) It's like I still spent $60 on this thing. (laughs) I want to get my playtime through it because I'm worried I might not uh, get much more out of it beyond that. And I guess the only other concern I have with this game, and I've mitigated it somewhat, is that I think the writing is not awesome. And I'm having some real problems with the dialogue, but I have helped myself by switching it to Japanese. And I will tell you, Cal... Uh, The acting is far better uh, from the Japanese voice cast than it is with the American cast. Though I do like Badger uh, from Breaking Bad uh, as one of the uh, characters. But otherwise, I've had a little bit of trouble with a lot of the performances, uh, particularly Barrett's. So uh, switching over to Japanese has really helped me a lot.
1: You know, I think it's one of the things that's really sad about it is that they could spend all this time and money and effort, uh, really fleshing out so much of the storytelling of the original game. Uh, I think you were right to signify, you know, like that um, uh, upper crust kind of like live, like living above, literally the the wealthy, uh, literally having the wealthy live above uh, the poor, uh, literally blocking out the sun for them is really smart interesting visual sci-fi storytelling and this game really finds a way to make that uh, visually really um, come across uh, especially in when you're in uh, reactor 5 early in the game um, and uh, you you see you you literally get to see the like sun lamps that uh, mimic like a solar cycle for the poor right and uh so much of that is so well crafted and well thought out and yet barrett is still basically mr t uh which <laughs> you know 1997 in japan i'm like it's still a little embarrassing but you know what like there's not a huge black population in japan like i i i understand how that happened initially uh 2020 um the fact that he still sounds like that right. is so bad,
0: yeah, and i I you know it's not just like there's that which I think is a real problem. I also kind of wish they had updated the costumes a little more, um like I think Tifa is still a little too gazy for me personally, um, and like it's weird because these characters are running around in an environment where people are dressed kind of like like we do, you know, especially when they're in. Um, sort of the the ground level area of Midgar, um, everybody just kind of looks like twentieth twenty first century Earth the twenty uh, tens fashion, uh, which is fine. But then it makes like you know cloud running around with that gigantic sword sticking out. Uh, it looks kind of ridiculous. On top of the fact that like Tifa still just kind of looks like a booby sex object, you know. And I just sort of wish they'd done a little more massaging of like the visuals and as well as the characterizations and i um but i also recognize you know people would probably riot if there were any extensive changes to these characters that people have obsessed over for 20 years
1: yeah you know i think that that's a real problem with this kind of remake is that they can update so much but uh if you change certain things you're going to anger the kind of Notoriously reactionary gamer fan base that is uh, that just kind of fucking sucks. Yeah, uh, and, but it, but is extremely online and extremely vocal, yeah. and uh, so like if Tifa didn't have tits the size of her head, um, like there would be bombings at Square. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, like it's 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 kind of the sad the sad kind of thing. So. I agree. Like I, I I laughed out loud at one point when you're walking through the town and people are like, man, who could have who could have done this terrorist attack? And you're like, well, maybe it's the person with the eight foot long sword and the man with the gun, the gun hand, <laughs> <laughs> like, the the people who are a foot and a half taller than everybody else dressed like Mad Max characters and <laughs> carrying weapons that no one else on earth has.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 is, there, it is a breaking of the reality that this new game creates that, uh, I, I, I I've been a bit challenged by. Um, I, I'm hoping that <laughs> as I continue on, uh, it will be something that I, uh, Maybe maybe once once old Separoth shows up, uh ridiculous looking Separoth, by the way. Um, once he shows up, I will become more sort of attuned to what the game is doing and maybe some of the changes it's made. But um yeah, there's I it's 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 a challenged remake, I think is the the, the absolute right way to put it. Harper, aren't you glad you missed out on this element of nerd culture?
2: Oh, oh my God, yes. I've never gotten more than like 15% of the way through a Final Fantasy game and then given up because I found it incredibly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried seven, eight, and ten and never got through the first disc of any of those games.
0: Oh, man. Eight, that was mine.
2: <laughs> that, that was, was the one favorite. I liked the most probably, but I, I, I don't even remember what made me give it up at some point. I think I got lost driving around a tiny taxi cab or something. <laughs>
0: like its That's the one with the gun blade oh and, yeah and like you're at a school like I, I, w- I was really into that like the, the, you're at a school and there's like a romance and you've got like a, a mean rival oh my god that was just catnip for me
2: no if square made a new super mario rpg game i'd be as excited about it as, as you and everybody else have been about this game
1: <laughs> oh man uh you know like i've been really wanting to replay legend of the seven stars man so my I, I, all-time I, favorite game it, it's it's up there on my list too,
0: man. I, like I, I get that. Um, uh, Harper, I will say though, once y'all finish Resident Evil two, definitely check out this Resident Evil three. Like when it's cheaper. Yeah, I, think I was going to ask.
2: Short. We we did finish two a while back, but yeah, three. I I didn't. I wasn't sure if I could handle the stress level, and and also I'm not paying sixty dollars for that. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I'll, six, I'll wait till uh, Black Friday. Yeah, it's six hours long. So to play to pay sixty dollars for it, I feel- can't believe it's that
0: short. I know that's why they added the online component to make it more worth your money. Um, I, I would definitely wait till it's like $20. Um, which surely will happen by black Friday. Um, I'd like it a lot actually. And, uh, I, I, I predicted Hannah would hate nemesis. Hannah hates nemesis <laughs> <for> a lot. <laughs> so, uh, I, I that it is great fun for me. And they, once again, and this is not a spoiler, but I'll just go ahead and tell you, there are no spiders in this game. <laughs> and I'm so excited about the no spider part.
2: Well, I'm I'm, I'm happy for you, Kyle. <laughs> I knew you were I knew you were dreading that.
0: <laughs> I was really scared.
2: Yeah, uh, I was. Uh, I'm I'm interested in it because i'm well, I'm curious, and maybe you can tell me. Um, yeah. like I don't have a problem with super intense, stressful battles. Like if it's just a boss fight that's hard and you know challenging and all that, it's fine. What drove me crazy and two is like the super stressful intense being chased by tyrant while you're also trying to figure out where to go and solve puzzles. I, it, I, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that even a little, like I just looked up what to do and followed the direction so I wouldn't have to freak out about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, th- the, that has been, uh, mitigated, I think. Um, so instead of doing like the thing where the tyrant chases you through the hallways and you can't like, you can't, go where you were hoping to go because the tyrant is there. Um, I think the Nemesis stuff is more
2: like quick-timey. No, I'm game for that, for
0: sure. Yeah, it makes things a little easier. Um, And I... But, you know, no less intense. I mean, once he shows up, it's time to run. But... Um, I, there was only a couple of times where he was sort of loosely walking around and I was like, Oh God, what am I going to do? I got to move around this guy. Um, I found it largely an easier game than, uh, Resident Evil two also, which I think was the case with the original. Um, Resident Evil three is just by, by nature an easier, shorter, almost kind of like a, feels like more like a DLC to Mm. part two than anything, but I love part two and i love more of that I'm, I'm simple i'm a simple man with simple taste i guess <laughs> um but I, uh, what was that count
1: well, i was gonna say uh i forget do you like the do you like obsidian games they did like uh um what fallout new vegas the outer worlds uh pillars of eternity those kind of games
2: I, I i've played new vegas and wasn't crazy about it but i haven't played uh out of worlds yet i I want to it looks really fun
1: i I was just thinking because uh i don't know if you guys saw this but uh they have a uh uh survival game that's coming out soon Uh, i don't know if it's survival horror but i I, it it may it may be um but they they have an arachnophobia mode which is like a difficulty (laughs) setting where you can just take the spiders out nice and they're, (laughs) they're just replaced with a different kind of thing
0: Oh, that's that's incredible! I wish Dragon Age had done that. God, <laughs> mighty! That's those are the kind of things where I'm like, Hannah, take the controller. I have to close my eyes. I'm I'm like that, not into it, you yeah. know. And Resident Evil was always historically the worst element of, uh, of my arachnophobia because it just looked so tarantula like I couldn't I couldn't take it you know um so that I'm so glad that uh these remake producers have completely opted out of doing that in the future now I hear the next thing they're going to do by the way Harper and maybe this will be appealing to you I I've heard two different stories like they're either doing a sequel to Resident Evil 7 or they're remaking Resident Evil 4 so uh, one of those things is next. I know you like seven a lot, which I still need to play.
2: I did. Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd definitely be more interested. I, Four doesn't need a remake. I find that kind of absurd. Like that game's not that old and it was a very, very good game already. Sure. Um, but yeah, seven was really interesting and a lot of fun and just very different. So I'd, I'd be interested in that. But beyond that, man, I want to code Veronica remake more than anything for sure. That's the, that's the game I've been waiting for my whole life for them to remake. <laughs>
0: now with those like uh kind of creepy ashford
2: uh villain or whatever yeah the like nosferatu guy and yeah that was such a cool game
1: yeah I know. It's, it's it's a sad thing that because the remakes cost a lot but make decent money you know i mean they 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 looked at you know code veronica versus resident evil 4 and like yeah i agree resident evil 4 does not need a remake at this time but like there are probably a lot of people who just don't want to go through the hassle of like rebuying an old game. But if it says remake, maybe they'll shell out money for it. Right. Because, you know, they don't have the same kind of memories for code Veronica. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with final fantasy seven, you know, like, um, if this is a huge success, like, like it seems to be given how hard it was to get a copy of it. um, They might very well want to remake some of their other games, but like, which ones do you go to next? Do you only do the popular ones or do you do the ones that could actually really use uh, kind of this renewed attention and kind of maybe uh, another another crack at some story elements and that kind of thing?
0: I don't even know what the popular ones were, Cal. I mean, when you start about Final Fantasy, it's, it's so divided. Like, Seven is the one everyone agrees upon. And then after that, it's like uh, no one can seem to decide which one they like best. Like, oh, Eight sucked. Oh, Nine. uh, oh, the guy with the tail. I hate that one. You know, it, it's it's just an ongoing, like, debate after that. And well, I guess Resident Evil has similar things, too. but
1: so, Sort of. I mean, like, Seven is like... Uh... Seven, seven gets a lot of hate because it's the one that like everybody started playing Final Fantasy at the same time, sure. so like, old heads who like like me who loved uh four and six uh are like, yeah, I mean seven's fine, but it doesn't have the jeunesse quoi of uh four and six right, uh but then people who stuck with it and didn't give up after eight you know really love nine or ten um. That said, you know, I mean, kind of as you said, like eight is one that's kind of unpopular um, for a lot of people, although it's getting it's getting some uh, there's there's some critical reevaluation going on with even with even eight. So, well,
0: yeah, my time is now. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, so one of the point I wanted to bring up about Resident Evil, by the way, I didn't know this or maybe I knew this and forgot, but. I didn't realize that the Resident Evil franchise was birthed out of a Japanese horror movie uh, from the '80s called really? Sweet Home. I didn't know that. Yeah, so like there was yeah, the, never... movie, the movie Sweet Home, and then they made a like a, a Super Famicom game or Famicom, whatever the NES, the Japanese NES is called. They made a game called Sweet Home. The same designer of Resident Evil. Years later, he was like, "I'm going to remake that game, but I'm going to remake it with a little bit more of an action bent." So that it became Resident Evil instead. So uh, there, it has like this kind of weird origin in like Japanese cinema that uh, kind of makes me like like it even more. Um, So yeah, uh, Resident Evil: Sweet Home might might be something to check out someday for you
2: if if it's ever available. I have no idea. That's pretty cool. I had no idea.
0: Wikipedia, you know, you, you fall in a rabbit hole really fast. So yeah.
2: um, Okay. Before we wrap, since it's
0: been like an hour and a half, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, like, what is the next thing you're going to do immediately in terms of your entertainment?
2: Well I'll say I had two things on my list of things that are coming up, not not immediately, but in the next uh week or so that I'm excited about. And that's um I mentioned on the last episode the uh the Shutter Joe Bob show and they announced the date. It comes back next Friday on uh the twenty fourth at nine o'clock. So that's every Friday night for however long, uh there'll be a double feature uh movie on Shutter with um with Joe Bob Briggs doing funny interesting commentary and having guests and, and things in between uh in the in the quote commercial breaks. so that's a ton of fun and something that i really enjoyed last year uh, as like a friday night tradition nice. um and then the other thing that uh that's kind of cool is um uh the show creep show that i worked on that was on shutter is gonna show on amc uh starting on may 4th um and it'll be on every monday at nine o'clock for a couple weeks so that's Pretty cool to see something I've I worked on show up on a, on a cable network.
0: Uh, man, I was about to mention it. Congratulations, dude. That's really exciting.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it is cool.
0: Um, and, you know, you get to see your name on the same network that has like all these other great shows. It's pretty, man, I would be freaking out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Walking Dead can suck it.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, these days, I, you know, I don't know who still watches Walking Dead. I guess I
2: everybody's know. mom, I think. Yeah, is the right. answer. <laughs>
0: Yeah. A lot of, uh, middle, a lot, a lot of boomers are watching it. That's about <laughs> <at> it <laughs> I got, they got some guy with a tiger now, I think. I don't even know. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but Cal, what, what, what's the next thing you're looking at?
1: You know, um, I've still got a stack of books to read, uh, taller than me. So I'm going to be working my way through those. I'm doing a, Jeffrey Eugenides' Middlesex right now. Ooh, yeah, uh, I need to
2: read that, too. I have that on my shelf.
1: Which is which is fantastic so far. So, uh, you know, I highly recommend it, uh, especially if you have a lot of fondness for uh, the history of Detroit as kind of one of the great American cities. Um, Of course, I've still got plenty of Final Fantasy VII Remake to get through. And, uh, you know, once I wrap up this last um, uh, Shovel Knight DLC... I uh just downloaded a kind of action beat em up <laughs> game that I've heard good things about on the Switch called um uh oh, what is it? Um Treachery Beat Beatdown City. It's mm, okay. <laughs> a great uh, name. Which is like a um uh beat 'em up game where you play the uh you play a Young girl who has been uh, tasked with saving uh, kidnapped President Obama um, <laughs> from uh, Mare Moneybags, a, a clear Mike Bloomberg stand in. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, kind of a throwback to a style of game that's even older than me uh, this kind of like side scrolling beat em up. But uh, I've heard it's really funny, uh, interesting, good mechanics. So I'm excited to check that out. Um, nice.
0: Uh, you know, for my end, uh, I actually got a really good deal yesterday on, um, uh, short story collection, Philip K. Dick on Amazon, nice. on oh, Kindle. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I've just now gotten into the wonders of Kindle, I guess. So welcome to 2010, Kyle. Um, but I... I they, they had this short selected stories of Philip K. Dick, which is like all his all his important short stories like Minority Report, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, uh Faith of Our Fathers, all that kind of stuff that I've just never read and always wanted to, the adjustment team. Um, and it's on sale right now for $3, <laughs> which, which is like down from like a $30 print list price. So, uh, it's very limited time offer, but, uh, if you hear this and you want to jump on Kindle and see if it's still available and you want to read it, uh, I've, you can't do better than $3. So uh, it's all sort of these, these stories selected by Jonathan Letham, and he's got an intro on it. And I'm excited to, uh, to dig a little further once I finish some of these other books. And I promise you, I'm going to, I'm actually going to finish some books for once. So that's, that'll be my, my goal. Um, well, anything else before we go? Nah. All right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Hey guys, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, y'all enjoy the rest of your quarantine. Uh, hopefully, uh, we've, we've continued to provide you with some good, uh, directions of things to check out, things to avoid, uh, and, uh, just some good, fun discussion. Hopefully we, we, uh, you know, hung out with you for a good, uh, good solid 90 minutes here. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the other side, guys. Bye.